0: (coughs) well Dave uh, Monument was just asking me what sort of week I'd had and uh, I said it was a I am switched on so yeah I I said it was a different sort of week because the first couple of days of this week we'd been down in uh, Chard back where we used to live and that's because the tenants who've uh, Uh, rented our house for the last couple of years have moved out and we need to put it back on the market try and sell it and uh, So we'd been down there and Kim. I just went for a couple of days Kim went all week and um, One of the things the tenants had I mean they they to be fair. They've been good people and uh, But one of the things they haven't really done is looked after the garden and uh, The garden was a bit of a mess and they had specifically mentioned to me the plum tree and the plum tree I know exactly when that plum tree was planted because it was a present from my mother, who likes gardening. Unfortunately, I've not inherited her gift. Um, present from my mother for our 25th wedding anniversary. So exactly 15 years ago, we planted that plum tree. And uh, the, the tenants said, I think you should cut that plum tree down. It doesn't look very good. It doesn't look very healthy. And they were right. And the truth of the plum tree is this, that we planted that plum tree 15 years ago, and hardly ever has it yielded any plums. When it does yield plums, they are absolutely delightful. They are beautiful to to, to eat, but hardly any plums over 15 years. And I was going to cut it down, and then I felt sorry for it. So I just made it look nice and neat, and uh, the plum tree's still there, and uh, there is a little bit of blossom on it, mind you, it's promised much before and delivered little. That is the story of the plum tree, and uh, you, of course, will be able to make some connections to that story that Jesus told that uh, Juliet has just read out to us, and I want to bring a simple message today to us. And it's to me as well, to all of us. And the the message is this, that God is looking for fruit. That's simple, isn't it? That God is looking for fruit. We come back to our studies of Luke's Gospel. And one of the, the good things about studying the Gospel Consecutively is that we look at passages that we might not otherwise pick on if we were choosing uh, choosing particular subjects or passages. So I've never heard this, I don't think I've heard this passage preached on before uh, in Luke 13, but that's what we're going to be looking at. But before we do that, I want to take you back to the 14th of September, 2014. You'll know that day well. No, you won't. But it was a day when I, when I started speaking on... Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter one, verses one to four. And I, I've kept keep notes of all these things so I could look back and see what was said on that occasion. And you might want to turn, if you've got your Bible, to the beginning of Luke's Gospel because it's good to be reminded very briefly of why of why Luke did all this careful research, went and visited all these eyewitnesses to write this gospel that we have before us today and which we've been looking at over these past few months and uh, and uh, you see there in those first four verses in a sense the what and the why what is he writing about and why is he writing it and it says in verse 1 the what in a sense he said uh, uh, verse 2 rather just as no verse 1 yes (laughs) To draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. That's what he's writing about. He's writing about the things that have happened in his day that are a fulfillment of things that have been promised in the past. That this is a conclusion. This is is a key time in the life of humanity. The things that have been fulfilled amongst us. And why is he writing to this excellent Theophilus? He says, verse 4, so that you may know know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Why is he writing? What are the things that have been fulfilled amongst them? The things that have been fulfilled is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? He is there among, he has been there among them on this earth, walking with them, living with them. And and people need to know this, and there are many stories obviously been circulating about Jesus. Can you imagine the sort of stories that people would tell? I mean, there'd just be so much to tell, wouldn't there? But it was important that they knew the truth about Jesus Christ, who he was, what he actually said, what he really did, so that people could have a a certain faith based upon those truths. And that's why Luke writes this Gospel that we're going to be looking at this morning and over the next few weeks. And the most import, one of the most important things, if, people, if there's going to be fruit in people's lives, if there's going to be fruit in the nation of Israel, is that people know who Jesus is. That they know who Jesus is. And they understand who He is and why He has come. And what He has achieved by coming and dying and rising again. And Israel needed to hear, know that message. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of all that, all that the Old Testament had predicted. All that we know. And so when Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus goes into his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, and he stands up and he reads from the prophet Isaiah, we've been, we've been studying Isaiah these last few weeks, haven't we? When he stands up in, in his own synagogue where people know him, and he reads that passage from Isaiah 61, about, 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 what, about what the promised one would do, how he would set captives free, <coughs> how he would release people from their bondage, how the blind would see, how people would experience new life. And of course, when he sits down, sits down and he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What Isaiah was writing about then, all those hundreds of years ago, is now true. And it is true in me. I am the one who does those things. I am the one who can do that. I can do that for you. If only you would listen and understand and respond to that. That is why I've come. To bring good news. And that message, Luke tells us in many ways, is for everyone everyone. And it was for those that people thought shouldn't have a right to even hear that message. It was for those that were on the outside of society. It was for Gentiles as well as for Jews. It was for everyone. And Jesus mixed with those people so that one day when when Jesus was mixing with these people that they called sinners, and by that they meant they were outcasts and tax collectors and prostitutes and all the rest of it, When Jesus was mixing with those people and the Jewish leaders couldn't understand it, in Luke chapter 5 he says this, doesn't he? He said, look, I haven't come for the righteous. They don't need a doctor or they think they don't need a doctor. Why have I come? I've come to call sinners to repentance. I've come to call sinners to repentance. And yes, that includes those people. Those people that you dismiss and don't want anything to do with. But you know what? Actually, the truth is, it's for all of you. Because you're all sinners. You all need God's grace and God's mercy. And so we go on to look, don't we, at this chapter, the passage that we've just read in Luke chapter 13. And the context for this is, is that Jesus has been talking about judgment. In Luke chapter 11, people have asked for a miracle. They've said, prove us, prove it, prove it, Jesus. Show us, do us know do us one of those signs. Then we might believe. And Jesus says to them, and I remember Darren preaching on this passage in, in Luke 11, doesn't he? He said, do you know what? I'm not going to give you any other miracle than the miracle of Jonah. Do you know what? On the day of judgment, the queen of Sheba who came from the far east will stand up and she will condemn you, this generation, the generation of people he's speaking to. She will condemn you. Do you know why? Because she came all the way from that distance to hear Solomon and she believed him and his wisdom. And do you know what? The people of Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, On the Day of Judgment, they will stand up and they will condemn you, this generation. Why? Because when Jonah went to Nineveh, that wicked city, they listened to his message. They believed it was from God and they repented. They said, we're going to change. So Nineveh did that. Queen of Sheba did that. And yet you, here am I amongst you, doing these mighty miracles of God, teaching these words with authority, and you will not listen. You're a wicked generation. You will not believe. You refuse to believe. And one greater than Solomon, one greater than Jonah, is among you. Don't you see that? They didn't want to see it. If Israel were to be fruitful, they needed to recognize who Jesus was. And they did not. And so the first thing to think about is if we're going to be the fruitful people that Jesus wants us to, God wants us to be, then we need to recognize who He is. We need to recognize who He is. But then we need to respond to that. Because recognition, knowing Him, is not just about something up here. It's something much deeper than that. And it calls for a response. Many years ago... Um, When uh, I had a motorbike, I'd like to get another one, as I was telling Mark the other day, but uh, I don't know if my wife or my bank account or whatever else will allow me to do that. But um, we had a bike. I had a Yamaha 500, and one day we were out for a ride. We were probably uh, going somewhere, and, um, and Kim taps me on the shoulder. We didn't have microphones or anything in those days in our helmets. She taps me on the shoulder, and she says, there's a police car right behind us. And and I was a bit taken aback. And anyway, this police car stayed right behind us. So I'm thinking, what's going to go on here? And then, of course, it isn't long before the police car pulls out in front of us and starts flashing his lights. And I think even there was an arrow on the car that pointed go in. And um, we went in. And very, very kindly, this policeman told me that we were exceeding the speed limit. He was very gracious about it. Not gracious enough to stop me being uh, fined, which came through the post a few days later. You see, I can see the policeman, right? I can see the police car. I know that he is a policeman, right? He's got all the gear, the car's made up and all the rest of it. But knowing that is not sufficient. Because as I see it's a policeman, I need to understand that this policeman comes with authority. And that authority demands that I be respected. And it demands a response. When he pulled in front of me with his flashing lights saying, come on in, if I just said, oh, I know that's a policeman, but I'm carrying on, I tell you what, he would not have been a happy bunny, would he? And no doubt my fine might even have been bigger. Because I need to respect the authority that he has. And people, when they heard the Lord Jesus And when we hear the Lord Jesus speaking to us, we need to recognize who He is. And it isn't just about knowing about Him, it's about actually responding to Him. Responding to Him. Making changes in our lives that are in accordance with His will and His purposes. So we come finally, very quickly, to Luke chapter 13. And then we have this strange start, don't we, where the people say to Jesus about these Galileans who Pilate has killed when they're worshipping in the temple. We don't know anywhere else about this incident, um, but obviously it had happened, and we can well believe it because Pilate was a very cruel man and committed many, many atrocities. And obviously from the way Jesus responds, when the people mention this to Jesus, they're obviously thinking that these people in Galilee were bad people. I mean, Galileans were generally looked down upon anyway by by Jews. They're obviously thinking, they were obviously bad people, and then that's why this happened to them. That's why Pilate did this. And then Jesus tells another story, doesn't he? He tells a story about a tower in Siloam that falls on 18 people and crushes them and kills them. And Jesus says, do you, know, do, you know, do you think that those Galileans and do you think that the people in Siloam were bad people and that's why God was judging them? And that's what they were thinking. That's how they used to think, don't we? When Jesus meets the man born blind, um, they say uh, his disciples say, was this man a sinner or was it his parents that mean he was born blind? Because that's how they thought. They thought that these punishments came upon people who were bad. And God judged them in that sort of way. Do you think like that, by the way? Do you think like that? There's there's a lot of people out there who do think like that. I'm sure we've all had people say to us, I must have lived a bad life and that's why this has happened to me. But I've also met Christians who they don't always express I've actually heard it expressed more than one occasion. Perhaps you have too. But I think there's a lot of Christians who think like this. Who think somehow that what's going on in their lives is because of God's punishment. Now, it's true that sometimes we do, often rather, have to face consequences for our actions. That's real. We can't sometimes avoid those. But I want you to hear, if you think that God is punishing you or has punished you, I want you to hear the reply of Jesus to these people. When, they, when they're thinking this, what does he say? He says one word. He says, no. No. That is not God's judgment on these people for being bad or other people thinking they're bad. That is not God's judgment. And sometimes we need to hear that. We need to realize that, yes, there may be all sorts of other things going on, but it is not God who is punishing us for what we see as not working out or what's wrong in our lives. That is not the God we worship. Hear that if that's you have those feelings. Perhaps we all do at times. And then Jesus says one really important thing, doesn't he? And he says it Twice. Which is a bit of a shock, perhaps to them, perhaps to us. He says, But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now when Jesus says that, I don't know what tone of voice he used. I don't think he's saying I don't think he's saying it in a in a harsh way. I think he's saying it in a longing way. We read those verses later on which we probably won't get to look at, but Juliet did, where he talks about Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed for you. His heart was that Jerusalem, these people, Israel, would come back to him. And his heart for these people who he's speaking here to is that they would repent and come back to him. He wasn't there to squash them, to crush them. He wants them to turn to him. Repent. Those people in Galilee, those Galileans, those people at Siloam, maybe they didn't have chance because it just happened to them. But for you who are listening to me now, Jesus says, You have an opportunity to repent. You have a chance to recognize who I am and to what what I can do for you. Repent. Turn around. You can do that. Because God's judgment will come. It doesn't come as punishment in this life. But one day God's judgment will be faced by all of us. Every single one of us. and if we've not repented if we've not turned to christ and put our faith and trust in him and what he's done for us then we will perish and god is not willing that any would perish this is it's a wonderful goes on to tell this wonderful parable doesn't it a man had a fig tr- a fi- about a man who's planted a fig tree in his vineyard And he goes, the tree has grown and it's matured and he goes along on the first year and he looks at the fig tree to find figs and there isn't any. And I can imagine him saying, oh well, disappointing, but maybe next year. Surely there'll be some next year. And he comes back the next year and he looks at the fig tree. Plenty of leaves, no figs. And he's really disappointed. And he comes back the third year and still no figs. And he says, that's it. It's hopeless, isn't it? I planted this fig tree for figs. That's why I planted it. If it's not going to produce any figs, chop it down. And hear the words of the gardener. Hear the words of the gardener who comes and speaks to the owner. And what does the gardener say? He said, leave it alone. One more year. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, great. If not, then I'll cut it down. Please, give it one more year. Give it one more chance. I'll do what I can do. And let's see if it bears fruit. Who is the fig tree? Who is the gardener? Well, the fig tree in this instance directly is Israel. That's who he's talking about. That generation. Who is the gardener? The gardener is the Lord Jesus Christ. The gardener is the one who is patient. The gardener who is not willing to chop that tree down just because it's been unfruitful throughout its whole life. As Israel has been unfruitful throughout throughout all these generations, he's not willing to chop it down. He wants to give it that one more chance. One more year. Please. One more year. Maybe Jesus was thinking even of the year that He was going to be with these people before His death and resurrection. I don't know. One more chance. And sadly, Israel didn't listen. That generation didn't generally respond to Jesus and his message. And we read those words that Jesus spoke over Jerusalem, that your house will be left to you desolate. Destruction was coming. And it came. It came. And it was terrible. Because they refused to listen. They refused to recognize who he was and they refused to repent. To repent. Is this teaching just about Israel? Is what we've read, just for Israel. I met with a guy this week. It's very encouraging. I'd never met him before, but it's to do with my, my new job, which has just started. And uh, he's uh, a guy, in fact, I might try and see if he can come here, uh, having, find out a bit more about him, maybe even bring, bring him here. He, he, he lives in Gloucester now. He's a Czech Slovak, and uh, he works with Planting and pastoring gypsy churches. And he's saying about some of the wonderful things that are happening within gypsy churches. But he says the first thing he does when 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 he goes into a new church situation or a new group is he says this. Because he said gypsies have got, I mean there's all sorts of things we could say about them, but he said they are spiritually aware people which is why perhaps there's a great work going on amongst them. But also they're, because they're spiritually aware, they've also got into things of spiritual darkness. And there are things that have come down through the generations. And the first thing he says to a gypsy congregation or a gypsy group of people is this. If you come to Christ, you are new people. You must repent of your old ways. You must leave them behind. And you must come to Christ, and you must now live only for Christ Jesus. You must break the curses of the generations. Things that have been passed down to you by your parents, you must leave those behind. Because now you are in Christ, and you are a new people, and Christ will make you into that new people. And in a sense, he's saying the same message that Jesus gave to those, that people of Israel. Because the truth is, the message isn't just for Israel, is it? The message of today that we've read out is for each and every one of us. The truth is, unless we, unless we repent, unless we're through repentance and recognizing who Jesus is, and turning to Him, unless we start producing fruit in our lives, one day we will perish. We will perish. And God says in 2 Peter, and if you looked at those verses that Graham gave us, The community group study this week in 2 2 Peter chapter 3, I think it is, where it says, God is not willing that any should perish. God's not willing that anyone should perish. That is his heart, that people respond to him, that people come to know him. Not willing that any should perish, but all come to life in him and fruitful. Because God is the creator of us all. God is the saviour of us all. All of us need to recognize Jesus is. All of us need to repent. All of us need to produce the fruit that he's looking for. And is that a message for you today? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you've not, I pray that the words of Jesus, the words of Scripture might speak directly into your heart and that you might hear Him speaking to you as many of us have heard him speak to us in the past and say, this is for you. You need to hear it. And you need to respond to it. Time has gone. God looks for fruitfulness in our lives. What about Abbey Church? What fruit is God looking for in Abbey Church? I believe the message that he gave us, from, which has been more than once, the message from Revelation chapter 2 to the church there, is a message for us. A message that maybe we have lost, and I speak more to myself, and I'm not thinking of anybody else, but maybe as a church we have lost that first love for him and for each other. And we need to hear that because that's a fruit that he's looking for from his church. We talk as a church about making Jesus known. That's our strapline, isn't it? Making Jesus known. Are we? (laughs) Are we? I having heard these guys speaking about the churches that they're working with and it wasn't all joy it wasn't all great but one thing message came out that, that people were coming to Christ in different ways in different places and I'm thinking what about me? what about me? what about us as a church? God looks for fruitfulness in his people And just like the gardener provided everything that was needed, the gardener said, look, I'm not just going to leave that fruit. I'm not just going to leave that fig tree. I'm going to come along and I'm going to do what's needed. I'm going to dig and I'm going to fertilize and I'm going to give it everything it needs to produce fruits. And Jesus comes to us and he says, I will give you everything you need to be fruitful. I will give you the indwelling Holy Spirit amongst you. If you will repent and turn from this and turn to me and seek me with all your heart then I will be all that you need. I've given you my word, the truth that you can rely on and take to heart. I've given you the community of God's people, the wider church as well as our our own local fellowship. I've given you all that you need to be fruitful. If you're not fruitful, it's not because of me. If you're not fruitful, it's not because of my lack of concern or my lack of care or my provision for you. If you're not fruitful, it's because, like Israel, you choose not to be fruitful. May we hear God's message too. I believe when that word, that, that phrase came out to me as I read through that passage, give it one more year. I don't know about Abbey Church. None of us do. But I do believe in my heart of hearts that this is a significant year in the life of Abbey Church. Is it a year in which we seek God with all our hearts and seek His blessing? Or is it a year where we just carry on and we drift along, enjoying some of the benefits, enjoying some of the good things, but not knowing the fruit that God wants to produce within us? And I pray that we will pray together that this year might be that one more year one more year in which we see God at work in new and wonderful ways amongst us I pray that you'll join with us as leaders as we do that